This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Thanks very much for joining us. As promised, we mentioned when we had the podcast with Kevin Cash that we would have another one, and that's because of the Rule 5 protection deadline. Uh, We have a chance to hear on this podcast from one Kevin Eibach. We will do that in just a moment, and we'll touch on why the race protected the players they did, why they moved the players they did, and in addition to that, we'll get some outside uh, feedback from Mark Topkin, who, of course, covers the Rays for the Tampa Bay Times. But we start with Kevin Eibach, who heads up uh, pro personnel, and get his take on the additions the Rays made and the challenges they had. Well, thanks for having me, Neil. You know, I, I think this was a busy week for all of us here in the office. And, um, you know, I, I think in this situation where you have a lot of depth in the organization, you're trying to create both opportunity and la- in both lanes of opportunity and um, you know, manage your 40 man roster at the same time. There's obviously you're not going to be able to fit everybody, um, into those 40 spots. So had to make some tough decisions this week. Um, obviously we added the four players that you alluded to and, um, you know, walking through there, but in doing so, you, you talk to teams around baseball, you talk to, uh, your counterparts and you find out where interest lies elsewhere. And a lot of times in weeks like this, it leads to a couple trades as well. So, um, you know, you hope to, potentially trade a few guys to create both roster spots and to create opportunities um, for the players you're going to add, um, you know, and hopefully along the way you get a few more players that are not rule five eligible that can join your farm system and, uh, you know, and grow and develop uh, over the next few years. Let's walk through it. First, the players that were added, you added four of them. Um, I think probably more fans are familiar with Tommy Romero than any of them. Let's start with him and then touch on the other three players that have been added to the 40 man roster. Sure. Tommy's a, Tommy was a really nice uh, starting pitching prospect for us this year. We acquired him several years back uh, from the Seattle Mariners and uh, back when he was in low A ball and um, has developed nicely over the last few years with us. And um, His bread and butter is, uh, is his fastball. He attacks, uh, attacks hitters in the zone um, with that pitch, and it's a swing and miss fastball, generates a lot of swing and miss, has good carry to it. Um, and he's a strike throw. He's going to challenge guys. Um, his secondary pitches over time have developed. Uh, he used to be a fastball, curveball, occasional changeup guy. We've had him at a cutter over time where he can get that breaking ball in the zone a little bit more. Um, you know, I think his changeup and curveball have both progressed. Um, I think there's room for development uh, with all three three of those pitches. But as you've seen the last couple of years, we need those optionable uh, reliever or starters rather um, that can kind of go up and down and, and help our team when we. Uh, when we need innings and and Tommy's shown that he's been able to do that at the minor league level and he'll have a chance to come into spring training and go to big league camp and, um, you know, show his arsenal to our big league staff and uh, be able to contribute in some way, uh, shape or form coming here in 2022. And then the other pitcher you added was Calvin Fauché, who you got in the Nelson Cruz trade from the Twins. 
Yep. I, I often refer to him as the other piece in the Nelson Cruz trade. I, I think the fans and uh, certainly our clubhouse was so excited when we traded for Nelly uh, back in July. And, um, you know, I think forgotten uh, maybe by some of the fans and some of the public, but certainly not by us, was Calvin. Um, had a little bit of issues throwing strikes uh, over with the Minnesota Twins, but we really appreciated his stuff from afar and uh, had a really short stay in Montgomery. Um, he went he went down there when we first acquired him in July and through a few times and Morgan Ensberg, Doc Watson, our staff down there uh, just raved about the stuff, especially the breaking ball. Uh, he's got a pair of breaking balls that he can throw for strikes and get a lot of swing and miss with. And, um, you know, it was he was a little bit of a man among boys, you know, for his short stint there in double A. So we quickly moved into triple A, not knowing what to expect. And uh, he went out and did a really nice job for for Brady Williams and Rick Knapp down there and. Um, I had a good fortune of seeing him in August after the trade deadline was over, um, you know, and he, he continued to develop and, um, you know, pitched a little bit more of his fastball and, and was able to establish that in addition to the breaking pitches and, you know, put himself on the radar and put himself in a good uh, opportunity to get added to the roster as he did this past week. And then he added two position players, infielder Jonathan Aranda and uh, Ford Proctor, who is an infielder who also is learning to catch. Yeah, Ford's, Ford's an interesting uh, conversion candidate. Uh, you know, during the shutdown in 2020, he was he was in um, the Sugarland League, which was a combination of independent baseball and a lot of affiliated players just to just to find somewhere to play. Went there, and Ford was playing a lot of infield, like as he had done in his career up until that point. But also started messing around with uh, catching bullpens in his spare time and. I think we all started to pick up some different habits during quarantine and uh, try out new things and, uh, and, you know, conquer new skills. And to Ford, it was uh, it was catching bullpens and uh, video of him doing that made its way back to our office. And I think we were all pleasantly surprised by what we saw. So uh, we actually added him to the alternate site uh, later that year. And he was able to catch some of our uh, pitchers down there, which um, I think the feedback instantly was, hey, uh, you know, I think there might be a future in doing this. And so that progress and that conversion continued on into, um, you know, spring training this year. And then he played with the Montgomery Biscuits all year and, you know, still played on the dirt a lot, but also behind the plate. And the catching just really got better as the year went on defensively. And Ford's always had a really good feel for the strike zone and, um, you know, really grinds out at bats in the box. And um, I think he had a very Ford Proctor-like year at the plate. And we're excited to see what he can do behind it now. Um with Aranda, same thing as Ford in terms of the plate discipline and ability to really barrel the baseball in the zone. And um, that was on display, you know, this year for us. And he had a really strong campaign and finished it up there at double A. And, um, you know, he's down there playing in Mexico right now. But Jonathan Aranda can flat out hit. And uh, from the left side, I think defensively, we're still going to shift him around as the Rays often do um, and expose him to a lot of different positions. He he started his career up the middle, um, played a lot of first base and third base this year, could probably play on a corner outfield. Um, and I was telling some people earlier, he also, we strapped the gear on him a couple years ago just to try it out. And, um, you know, I think we just appreciate his bat more than anything. And, uh, and he had a really nice offensive campaign this year. And then to do that, you had to make some room. So two guys that you moved, Dietrich Enns um, is going to eventually, what, sign with the team overseas. And Brent Honeywell was moved to Oakland for cash considerations. In both cases, these were pitchers that were without options. How much played into that? 
Uh, you know, to be honest, I, I think the, the lacking of options certainly, um, you know, certainly hurts when it comes to how versatile we, uh, you know, like our players to be and how we use our major league rosters. So it wasn't ideal that both players was, were going to enter 2022 um, without options. It's it's bittersweet um, for both guys. Obviously, uh, a lot of people know Dietrich's story of being an independent ball during uh, the COVID year and making his way to the alternate site, making his way to Durham, and eventually helping us down the stretch in the big leagues. And I, I think speaking to him personally the other night on the phone was very appreciative of his time here. And I think this more than anything with Dietrich was an opportunity to go to Japan and, um, you know, make some money and do right by his family and, um, you know, really get in a stable environment. So, um, so I think that was a good opportunity for Dietrich. Um, I think it was something that he was looking forward to. Um, with Brent Honeywell, it's it's almost the exact opposite. Um, I no ambition of going to Japan or playing over there, but um, somebody that we we were able to um, you know see this year. We finally got him back from all these injuries. Uh, saw him make his major league debut at the Trop, and I think we were all very happy for for Brent and what he did. Um, spent some time at Durham. Wasn't able to make it back up at the end of the year, but. I think going to Oakland, there should be some opportunity for him to take the ball, whether it's every fifth day or in some sort of bulk role in the bullpen. And, um, you know, I, I think they'll be happy with uh, the pitcher they're getting over there in Oakland. Beyond that, you moved a couple of other players. Uh, give us the, the thought on the player you got back for Mike Brasso um, and the reason for moving him. And then I guess similar side, you don't know yet the player you're getting for Lewis Head. Sure. With with Mikey Brasso, that was a, that was another bittersweet move. I, I know there's a lot of emotion fills this week because some of these players, whether it's Brent Honeywell coming back from injury, whether it's Dietrich Enns coming out of nowhere from independent ball, or it's Mike Brasso hitting arguably one of the biggest home runs in franchise history. Um, you know, seeing these players move on to other organizations or another league in the case of Enns is always tough. But I think Last year, you know, was it was a difficult year for Mike, and I think that he he would admit that. And you know, as the season wore on, we ended up trading for Jordan Luplo, and um, you know, Mike kind of got lost down there and and was in Durham for a little bit and, and spent some time. Um, he was just trying to revamp his swing, and um, probably a little bit of a frustrating year for him, but has an opportunity now to go to the Brewers and um, you know have an opportunity to to be that 2020 version of Mike Brasso that we all came to know and love. So I think maybe a change of scenery and a, and a chance for more opportunity over there will be good for him. Um, the pitcher that we got back, we actually like a lot. His name's Evan Reifert, um, minor league reliever uh, in A-ball. Uh, struck out a lot of guys, has a really nice breaking pitch, um, has mid-90s fastball. Um, just a guy that they, they signed after the draft, didn't give a lot of money to. Uh, kind of came out of nowhere, but really had a nice year for the Brewers and um, someone that we think can come in and contribute right away um, in our minor league bullpens here and work our way up. And, you know, hopefully that's a guy that we're talking about a couple of years from now that we would want to protect in a week like this. And then for Lewis Head, I guess you're going to eventually learn the the player you received. Is that later on in the, in next year in the spring? What's most likely? Sure. You know, we traded Lewis to Miami and that was – Another tough trade. Again, Lewis was a guy that, you know, rode that shuttle back and forth between AAA and um, in the big leagues as much as anyone all year. And uh, just really, you know, kept his head down, contributed to the team. Um, you know, a year ago, I know it's been well documented, was selling solar panels, um, you know, on this time last year. So has come a long way, made his major league debut with us. Uh, much in the way I, I liken it to John Curtis the year before, 
where John went to Miami, had a really nice opportunity there after helping us in the World Series. And I expect Lewis to go over to the Marlins and contribute to their bullpen right away and uh, hopefully a good opportunity for him. Um, we will be getting a player back from the Marlins. Um, it likely will be sometime um, towards spring training, whether um, in the middle or the end of uh, spring training, but we'll have our, our choice of a couple of players. So uh, rest assured that our scouts will be hanging around the backfields of Jupiter and making sure we, we can make the most informed and best decision as possible. And there was another move that you guys did make. You did trade Tobias Miners to Cleveland and picked up a, a minor league infielder. Tell us the reason for that. Was it because Myers was likely to get picked in the Rule 5 draft and this way you get a, a pretty good return? Yeah, you know, I think we, we try to go in the in, into this week without too many biases. And I, I know we have a lot of nice players, some of which we protect and some of which we weren't able to protect. Um, but I think part of our job is to listen to the industry and see where the interest lies in our players. Um, because Tobias is such a good pitching prospect, we fielded calls from half a dozen teams in baseball, um, you know, inquiring about how they can can acquire Tobias Myers. And so we had to sort through what would be an appropriate return for Tobias or any other player um, that was under consideration this week. And the amount of interest, you know, drew us to Tobias pretty quickly that there was probably a good chance that we might overlap on value somewhere. Uh, so really in the last 24 to 48 hours, Cleveland kind of separated from the pack in terms of their interest and what they were willing to give up. Um, the player we're getting back, infielder uh, Junior Caminero, really interesting player. Um, there's probably some video floating around social media um, from the Dominican Summer League, and I think the first thing you'll notice is um, the pure bat speed and power um, that Junior has. Uh, young kid, 18 years old, um, but really has a fast bat, has ability to drive the baseball, um, coupled with with some contact skills. He's you know, he's going to have some swing and miss in his game, but he he reminds me a lot of, uh, you know, where Curtis Mead kind of was. It was a nice intersection before we traded for Curtis of of bat speed, strength, but also contact. Um, so we have a lot of boots on the ground down there in the Dominican Republic, um, you know, both on the amateur side and the pro side. So we've had our fair share looks at Junior, um, you know, when he was an amateur and then also after he signed with Cleveland. So we feel pretty good about our evaluations on where he is, and we're excited to to bring him in, um, you know, and, and and see where see where he can fit in and, and where he can rise throughout the system. But really excited. I know he's far away, and it's and it's not someone that a, a lot of the public sites have a lot of knowledge of right now. But we felt this was a guy that may not be acquirable a year from now. So better to be a year early than a year late with someone like this. And then lastly, you guys not only made some moves involving the 40-man roster, but also the coaching staff. Um, give us a feel for, you know, once Ozzie Timmons moved on to Milwaukee, um, the thought of A, Chris Prieto filling the shoes uh, as first base coach and outfield and base running, but also the other additions you made and how the staff is going to look this year with a lot of assistance added. Sure. I think that's a trend around baseball. You see, you see big league staffs growing just to accommodate um, you know, the players at the big league level. And you try to get that, you know, quote unquote, teacher to student ratio as small as possible. Um, you know, the individualized attention, that's where all the work behind the scenes, a lot of these players that have the success on the field, um, you don't see a lot of the work that gets put in behind the scenes, both by the player themselves, but certainly the support staff there. So I think that's a trend around baseball where you'll see the, the, the staffs grow um, as the years go on. 
I, I first I would say Neil that you can never really replace Ozzy Timmons. I don't know; those are some pretty big shoes to fill. Um, you know, Ozzy's such a great human being first and foremost, and um, all of the things he does in the Tampa St. Pete area. Um, you know, not to mention the camaraderie. Spending time in spring training with him every year is you know some of the best weeks that I have. Um, so really sad to see Ozzy go, but I know it's a good opportunity for him over there in Milwaukee. And like you said earlier with Mike Brasso, Willie Adamas, uh, some of these other players, uh, he'll have some familiar faces in that clubhouse for sure. Um, Chris Prieto is, uh, you know, spent some time with him this year, you know, roving around the minor leagues. And, you know, when I'm in there to scout games and his attention to detail um, and his passion about base running and outfield play is second to none. Um, you know, he's always hustling around with a camera, um, gets real creative with his drill work. So I think the attention to detail and the, the passion, the work ethic is going to come through. And, um, you know, and you'll see that with, with our players in the big leagues, um, you know, whether it's running the bases or, again, with our outfield play. Those are parts of our game that we pride so much. Um, you know, we, we take a lot of pride in the way that we run the bases and the way that we defend. And I think Pre will be an excellent addition to the staff. Well, still a lot to do this offseason. Kevin, we appreciate some time to give our fans a, a real good feel for what has happened, and we look forward to what's coming in the, in the weeks ahead. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Great, Neil. Appreciate you having me. Well, we certainly appreciate the time of one Kevin Eibach to give his take on the moves the Rays have made and giving us some outside perspective. Someone who is always on the go, even when he is uh, kind of uh, stuck in his home. As he is right now recovering from knee surgery, that's Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. He still has been able to follow everything from his couch. Thanks very much for a few minutes, Mark. It's actually, I hate to say this, but it's been good to be busy in the offseason for a change. Uh, yes, and it has been quite. Um, what was your take overall on, on the, the plethora of moves that the Rays made? It seemed like they added some really young, talented players while also removing some guys who either A, had few options or B, they had other guys that they thought were going to play a larger role. Right. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that any of the prospects they added, at least on Friday at Friday's deadline, where you would say, oh, they, they were absolute, you know, can't miss kind of guys. I mean, they're all guys that still need to, to grow a little bit. You know, Renee Pinto was added a week before. I think that one made a little more sense because we saw him as, you know, likely their third quote unquote catcher. But the guys that they added are all guys that we've talked about. I mean, Jonathan Aranda had a great season. Obviously, Tommy Romero, I think, was probably next in line uh, starting pitcher-wise, especially after the trade of, of Joe Ryan and uh, Drew Strotman. So it, it kind of made sense. And if you, if you kind of look at it in totality, I mean, Mike Brasso probably didn't have a role on the big league team. I mean, he'd kind of been supplanted, especially with the, we think they're going to tender Jordan Luplo. Um Lewis Head was one of the guys in the bullpen, but I don't know if you'd sit here right now and say he was necessarily going to be one. Maybe he was, but but you're not sure of that. Dietrich Gans was out of options. I don't think he was going to make the team as a starter, so then your long relief role at best, and that might be what Ryan Yarbrough's in, depending on how things kind of shake out as that lefty guy. 
And then Brent Honeywell, the one traded on Friday night, maybe the biggest name of, of that group, I guess, depending on how you value Mike Brasso's homer against the Yankees. But Honeywell, certainly a guy who previously was, you know, the race top pitching prospect, one of the top ones in the game. But the three years, the injuries, we've talked about the story many times. I, I think the Rays did him right. That's certainly what Kevin Iback made clear in, in the interview we had with him, and I'm sure in, in your talk as well, Neil, is that they wanted to find a place for Brett Honeywell to get a chance to pitch, and it sounds like the Oakland A's, you know, at least as we sit here in November, said they're willing to do that. We know they're going to get rid of a lot of their uh, older players, so they should have some opportunity for him there. So you, you take those four guys off, you add the four guys they added. This is how the Rays work. I mean, and, and you know, having that flow of young players – is the key to success, whether they play for the Rays, whether they're guys, as we saw with Joe Ryan, that turn around and get traded to get you a big piece, which they did with a Nelson Cruz deal this past year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting how things uh, evolve going forward. Romero, you know, probably the closest among the players in terms of production because he gave up, what, two runs and 35 innings down the stretch for Durham. So certainly he could be, you know, someone that they need from a depth standpoint earlier in the season. And Calvin Fauché is a guy who's part of that Nelson Cruz deal who look maybe a higher end arm than a Lewis head in terms of the overall stuff, upper 90 stuff certainly could help them down the line. And, and the other piece of this is they also did get some minor leaguers back, which are going to help them going forward. They got Evan Reifert in the uh, Mike Brasso trade from, from the Brewers, a reliever they don't have to protect. They got a, a player from the Indians for Tobias Myers, Myers, who they obviously thought was going to get taken in the Rule 5 draft, very similar to like the Christopher Sanchez-Curtis Mead trade that they made a couple of years ago, and we see how Mead is turning out. Um, and they'll get a player back from the Marlins for Lewis Head this spring too. So they are going to get some players back, but guys, they don't have to put on the 40-man. Right, and that's the part, and, and you know – I I certainly don't think I necessarily do a great job of explaining this. And I think it's, it's hard sometimes for us to explain it for fans to follow that, you know, there's different levels of, of uh, how you restock your system. And the guys you just mentioned are guys that get added kind of at the low, lower level, not necessarily uh, in the protection area yet. Then the guys we've just talked about that required protection from the rule five draft, just assuming it happens at some point, if there is a lockout, the L word there, but, you know, they have so they kind of get the guys at the bottom end. They have the guys that are getting ready closer to help the big league team. And then, of course, they make deals for guys that do play at the big league level or certainly are ready to. So it's almost a three tiered uh, way of having to restock your system. And I think in this case, the race kind of addressed or have addressed and will continue to address all three levels. Certainly. And, and while they're doing that, they're also potentially looking at some other stuff. And you reported about that earlier in the week. Uh, I, I, I guess I can't say I'm shocked that there was reports about Wander Franco and the discussion of a long-term extension. I mean, why wouldn't you at least explore the possibility right now? Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I think, and I think I alluded to this early in the offseason in the Tampa Bay Times that you know that was going to be on their to-do list. The question was, was it going to be a, a 15-second conversation, or was it going to be a you know week-long negotiation? What's unique about this, Neil, in, in kind of opposite of how the way the way the Rays typically do business is, is that it got out. I mean, you know, we we all covered Evan Longoria in spring training in 2008, and I don't think anyone had any idea that they had been in talk. He had been in talks with the Rays back and forth for a couple of weeks over the long term deal. Then he gets technically optioned to Durham, and then you know what? Eight days later, eight games later, called up uh, and and signs the deal, and you know we. So we didn't know. Usually these things are done. The Rays do them uh, secretly and, and 
they either get done or they don't. I mean, we've heard after the fact there was one spring a couple of years ago, I think they had offers out or just serious discussions with five players and ended up only doing the deal with Brandon Lau that spring. But, you know, we, you find out sometimes after the fact that they approach players, but the fact that this got out, it kind of in the early to middle part of the negotiations. I mean, it sounds like the Rays did make something close to a formal offer. We're kind of all going off the report from the Dominican Republic newspaper, El Carib, who had, which had the scoop. So, where it stands, how does it get countered out? Does this become a public thing? Does the counteroffer get leaked too? And, you know, this is something that sometimes you read about, like Yankee negotiations, where there's people leaking stuff all over the place when they're in on a player. It's unusual for the race to be there. Does this help them or hurt them trying to close the deal? Does it put more pressure on Wander to sign or more people getting a Wander's ear telling him, no, you got to hold out for Neil Solon's money. Don't take this money. Good point. Um, social media wise, this may also have gotten out because of the way social media has evolved. I mean, you mentioned Evan Longoria. Social media has changed an awful lot in the last since Evan got that big deal. Well, no doubt. And, and, and I, I mean, this is this is how it's changed. Neil was after that report came out. I went on my phone and luckily I'm smart enough to know how to do this. Opened my Instagram app and put a alert on uh, Wander Franco post. Every time he posts, I'll see what he's posting because he posted something the other day about right after the report came out about humility was a very valuable uh, asset to have. And then he posted something yesterday about one bad day doesn't change everything. And I'm, you know, first I'm translating it, then I'm looking at the pictures and the, you know, what does this mean, Neil? What does it mean? So I, I think that influences it. And and yes, as I said before, Wander's going to hear from a lot of people giving him a lot of advice, whether he wants it or not. I'm glad your, your Spanish is improving through all this, at least while, while you're, while you're prepping. In the meanwhile, the Rays are also adding to their coaching staff in, in a different way uh, than they've done in the past, right? Not only did Chris Prieto take over for Ozzie Timmons, but they've added three more coaches. Yeah, I mean, they were going to – the way they originally was unfolding was Ozzie Timmons was going to be kind of reassigned from first base to just to handle with assistant hitting coach duties, which was kind of going to be a new position. And then Chris Prieto was coming up from the minor leagues where he'd worked the last couple of years to be the first base coach, take over outfield and base running. Chris has been a coach six years, I think, on the Mariners staff in a variety of roles. Interesting playing career, just two games in the big leagues. That'll be a spring training story. Book it right now. Um, but then once Ozzie Timmons got the opportunity to go be a co-head hitting coach with the Brewers, and we've seen a number of teams go with the, the dual head hitting coaches, the Rays uh, interviewed several of their internal candidates and apparently liked two of them so much they decided rather than pick between them they would go with two assistant hitting coaches so both Dan DeMent who's been around a very long time and Brady North who kind of came from the new school more from the the technology technological aspect of it and kind of the um, new wave hitting school and then a little bit of uh, work in the minor leagues so they're going to meet up and be assistant hitting coaches. And then Rick Knapp, who was the AAA, hitting, AAA pitching coach, excuse me, kind of gets put into another new position where he's going to be around the big league team some, but not all. He's going to be in charge of the rehab guys, some of whom will be in Port Charlotte. He also may make a few trips to Durham to kind of keep an eye, almost like he'll be kind of like, if you view it as there's 12 or 13 guys on the big league staff, typically during the season, it sounds like Rick Knapp's going to be the pitching coach for the next five to 10 guys, whether they're coming back from injuries or they're guys at AAA that might be getting called up. And you know, it makes sense. I mean, there's days when, I mean, not that the athletic trainers can't and don't do a good job in this, but there's days when a guy on rehab throws a bullpen and the Rays, 
you know, Kyle Schneider, those guys get a video of it. They're sitting there trying to prep for a game at the Trop or, or at Yankee Stadium or wherever, trying to watch a video of a rehab guy who threw that morning in Port Charlotte. Now they'll actually be a coach there. There'll be someone who can assess it from a coaching standpoint, relate to them. You know, not just medically he was fine, but that curveball needs more break on it. That fastball isn't riding enough. He doesn't have enough carry. Things that they can discuss from a coaching standpoint to help evaluate as well. So an interesting situation. And more, more uh, people traveling for the Rays now, too. They had basically a plus two on the coaching staff now. Yeah, they might need a bigger plane. Um, and, and this is kind of the trend, though, in the industry, isn't it, Mark? I mean, that you're seeing more of, I wouldn't say a one-to-one ratio, but certainly closer to more coaches for the players to have a, a lower ratio of, in essence, teacher to student. Yeah, and, and I think that's part and probably a big part, Neil, because of the volume of data and information that's available now is that there's so much between statistical, sabermetric, analytical, uh, you know, the video, the, the action cameras stuff, the, the technological ways that they can break down swings and break down pitching. You know, they, they have so many different ways to compare. There's so much data. And, oh, yeah, you've got to prepare for the team you're playing, too. So you almost need... You're almost doing like a daily game planning on your own staff and on the other team's hitters. So it, it makes sense. And I think you actually may see a change because there's a limit now. It's what, seven coaches plus the manager or eight coaches plus the manager are allowed in the dugout during games. You may see that expanded just because there's going to be so many of these people around. But I, I think it's a direct result of the workload. And look, I mean, Chad Matola does, I think he does a great job as the race hitting coach. And you know, I think people will tell you that the hitting coach is probably the toughest job of anybody has uh, on a big league team because he's trying to deal with 14 guys who have 14 different ways of doing everything and you know, having a couple assistants and not only getting fresh voices, but more people to share the load. Mark, really good stuff. Uh, while you uh, analyze uh, all the moves that are going on right here, take a look at your own analytics. Hopefully you have a good turkey day. And uh, I'm sure there will be other stuff that's going to come up uh, before uh, the uh, – the tender deadline that I'm, I'm sure we'll discuss as we go. Absolutely. We, we know one thing, Neil, the Rays always have uh, moves in the works and we'll have plenty to talk about. Well, we certainly appreciate the time of one Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. And we also appreciate Kevin Eibach being with us on the podcast today. Uh, we will have more as it warrants before Thanksgiving, should again any significant moves be made. You can also check out our blog where we'll have plenty of analysis on these moves and more at raceradio.mlblogs.com. If we don't have another podcast before the holiday, have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and we will chat with you soon.